Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to Facing the Canon. My guest on the program is singer-songwriter Chris Eaton, who has composed songs for Cliff Richard, Amy Grant and many others. Chris, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you so much, John. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we, we met years ago. We haven't seen each other for years, and it's wonderful to have you on the programme. Thank you. It's been a long time. It long has. Time. Too long. <laughs> How would you describe what it is that you do? Oh, my gosh. Um, I guess I love music. Music is part of my DNA. And, uh, and I was, I guess, very blessed to end up doing something that I dreamt about doing when I was a little kid. So um, I, uh, amongst all the other things that come into being a dad and a husband and all the rest of it, um, I end up doing something that I, I totally adore, which is creating music. And uh, I guess uh, my heart for God um, and my relationship with him allows me to uh, develop um, musical pictures, if you like, that hopefully clarify elements of truth and hope for people who listen to the music. So that's the plan. So good, creating music. Okay, so growing up, yeah. were you? How were you introduced to it? Um, well, my father was uh, a pianist, and he got me in the church choir when I was really, really young. In fact, I became a boy chorister, believe it or not, um, at a local Anglican church in the West Midlands. And um, I sang there for about six or seven years, um, became head boy, uh, ended up singing Oh for the Wings of a Dove, Yes. Um, Hear My Prayer um, at Litchfield Cathedral when I was, I think, eight or nine. And I uh, can't remember those days very well, but apparently there's a reel to reel somewhere that has the evidence, um, which is fun. So um, and, I that, back. and that's quite brave at that age, isn't it? Well, uh, yeah, very much so. Um, but I, you know, and also completely, you know, the voice hadn't broken at that point and I could reach notes that I can't even dream about now, that's for sure. Um, but it was, that was a great sort of beginning for me. And I played piano. I had piano lessons for six years um, when I was eight to when I was 14. And I got to a point when I was playing piano um, that I didn't want to play arpeggios and, and scales and, and read the music all the time. It was kind of, steam was coming out of my ears. So I decided to play by ear. And um, at that time, I was into the, the big pop artists of the day, and Billy Joel and Elton John and, uh, were my heroes growing up in terms of piano. And um, so I started playing their material for fun and just listening to it and working things out. And then I started writing songs when I was maybe 13 or 14, most now, of which were terrible, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, when did you first, I know you were brought up as a, a Christian, but yeah. when did you first personally encounter Christ? Um, well, you're right. I was I was actually um, you know watching my organist. In fact, uh, the guy who taught me to play piano was the organist at our church, and he was a, an incredible man and a brilliant, absolutely brilliant organist. And he had this massive organ um, with all these you know pedals, and I sat as a four and five year old watching him play and dreaming of being able to play like him and the sound that came out of the the pipes the organ pipes was just awesome it was like an orchestra um, and there was an element of richness I think to that experience 
uh, even in the Anglican church that I went to, that, that sowed seeds of truth in, in me. Um, I went through my normal sort of young childhood, loving life, not thinking about sp mainly sport and uh, before I started thinking about girls. And, um, and I didn't really pay too much attention to the spiritual side of my life, honestly. I was um, in, an, in the Anglican church. I got confirmed at the age of 12. Um, which meant that I knew what I was doing, but I didn't have a personal experience of the living God at that point. Um, in fact, a lot of the ministry that I heard around that church was seemed very sleepy to me. It wasn't exciting. And um, it wasn't really until I was at school and one of my best friends was a born-again Christian and he was poking these things in me going say look if you say you're a Christian then why are you doing this and why are you saying this why are you hanging out with those guys and um, and he kind of kept working on me he said look why don't you come to my church so uh, his name was Jeff Baker a dear friend who lives in Australia he's a pastor in Australia now and uh, and I went to his church which is a small Methodist church in the West Midlands called Himley Road and I heard open prayer for the first time and uh, when I say that, I'm, you know, people who were just talking to God as if he was their best friend. And I'd never heard that in the Anglican church before. It was all from a prayer book and it was very full, sort of religious. And I just didn't um, kind of cor correlate that you could have this relationship with the living God. And um, over a period of time, uh, I, I listened to some amazing preachers and I remember going to see a Don, Don Summer's Crusade I didn't yes. actually get up and run to the front and make a commitment, but it started to, God was sowing seeds of truth uh, into me at that point. And I think there was about a six month period where I just knew God was working on my heart. And, and there was a point where just in a local service where I gave my life to Christ. And that was a very real moment. It was, a, it was incredibly uh, important for me as a 16 year old uh, and I'd been through two, three years before that um, where I was kind of fighting the whole idea of committing to God. Um, you know, and I was looking into other religions and um, started to read about other paths of truth. And I was just very open to all of that. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful that, um, that God just kind of pat patiently waited for me, I would say. And um, although I have to say it was borne out at a later date. Although I became a Christian at 16, I would say the first time I really grew up into my faith was when I was first married and then my marriage failed. And that was the hardest thing to deal with. Um, and I think I was kind of, uh, I have to sort of talk about the, the two together because yes. that's the first time something practical came into my life where I really had to know my onions. You know, I, do I really, love God or, or don't I? Um, and during that time, um, I actually, I met Jill, uh, my first wife, um, at the same time as meeting Sir Cliff. And this is a different story. So yes. you may want to ask me a different question, but uh, suffice it to say, um, when, when the big things come along you, and, you, and you get that pressure as to what decisions to make and how it affects you, then that's the time you have to know 
really what you believe and why you believe it. Yes, absolutely. It's very easy to that sure. point to sort of go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, it's great, and life is a bed of roses. You and I certainly know yes. it's not uh, by any means. But, um, you know, the beauty uh, of being a, a believer is that, to me, is that we're covered. We're covered by grace. Absolutely. And I look at myself and I look at the humanity that I have. And I look at the desires that I want, I have for, to make God's name known and to, and to just spread the love, uh, as daft as it sounds, as simply as it sounds. Music allows me to do that. Um, but I realise that I'm within the confines of a human body that fails and a human brain and, and, and emotion that fails. And, and I'm in the confines of my own selfishness. And then when I actually kind of realised that the, the nugget, the depth of my faith is because of grace. Absolutely. Because, because I can never be good enough. Yes. And it doesn't matter because God sees perfection in me through Christ. You worked in a fruit shop. You were a taxi driver. <laughs> you leave school. You yeah. go into insurance. Yeah. When did you realise that you loved music, but you also obviously had a great ability and a gift, did that develop? I, I think I always, I just naturally love playing and singing. If I feel that something is worth delving into, to see what the emotions are in that particular story and how perhaps I can bring them out to help people perhaps understand them or, or relate, it can mean that they can face a problem that perhaps they wouldn't have been able to face before. And that, that's a real driving force for me to be able to write something that has hope at the heart of it. And, and I was, you know, when I, as I say, when I first became a Christian, all I wanted to do was to write about Jesus. And, and it was like, I'll never write a song that doesn't have the word Jesus in it, uh, which was a little bit naive because I was kind of just so into that walk that I had with Christ. Uh, and then as I realized, the older I get, that the, 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 the incredibly millions of different facets of, of Christ's love that we see in relationship throughout the world. And you can make comment or delve into someone's situation that doesn't necessarily involve Jesus directly. And you can bring out an emotion or a truth uh, that will kind of nail the, the truth in that, in that situation. And I love to do that. And so for me, I was writing songs. I was uh, a singer-songwriter. I wanted a record deal. I felt like I was the artist, if you like. I never really saw myself as just a writer. I was, the, I was a, a singer-songwriter. I was kind of a one-man band. Um, I never co-wrote in those days, never co-wrote at all. It was always me in the piano, banging a, a tune away, and my parents would be like, what the heck's that? And then the next morning I'd be like, there it is. <laughs> and, um, and so, and I was, um, de I developed my music through semi-professional work. Um, I would go down to ICC studios in Eastbourne, uh, owned by a wonderful man called Helmut Kaufman. Um, and I got to know incredible guys like Les Moyer, Neil Costello, people who lived and worked down there. And we did a lot of projects together um, in, the, in the studios. And they weren't uh, always particularly well paying, but they were a uh, Fantastic fun. Yeah, and great experience. Yeah, absolutely. So all the time I was working with great musicians and had great people around me. And I got... Um, 
and sort touring of, as well and yeah. also supporting others and others in yeah. ministry uh, yeah amazing. our mutual friend dave pope yeah i mean amongst incredible. others well that was a massive uh, cathartic time for me um dave saw me in insurance and i'd already been playing piano for dave pope uh, for those of you who, who don't know who dave is um dave is a, a dear friend of ours and has been in ministry all his life pretty well. Um, he sings, but mainly has a speaking ministry, and um, and he got me involved in a tour that he was doing, and he said, I'm afraid, Chris, you're gonna have to come on the road with me, and that means giving up your job. And I was like, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, I'll talk to your mum and dad about it and convince them that it's, hopefully it's the right thing, because we need you, and, uh, and I think it would be good for you. So how old were you then? I was, uh, Twenty, just gone twenty, I think. Yeah, so quite uh, young. Nineteen. But, but what a 20. great opportunity! Oh, it was amazing. And I met at that time uh, friends that I am now incredibly close to. Um, unfortunately, one of them did pass away, uh, who was the drummer for uh, the band, who went on to form uh, NGM Ministries. Yes, and that's, that's Ray right. Gowdy. Ray Gowdy, another um, good friend of ours. Yeah, Ray is wonderful, and um, Nancy's wife. And yes. Um, we carry the Ray's spirit with us wherever we go, that is for sure. And Rob Marshall, guitarist, Mark Williamson, uh, who I was in a band with for many years. Um, Ian White, great yes. friend of ours from yes. Scotland, was on guitar. And this was a, a very important time, because not just were we playing music every day, and we were touring the, the country, and we actually went to America for six weeks, um, but we were learning how to be part of a team, and, and how important that was at that early age for me, to realise that it wasn't life wasn't all about me, um, although I still did kind of get the award for putting my hands in my pockets more often than anybody else when it came to putting lighting gear up. Yes, <laughs> um, but Dave uh, just saw something in me that he wanted to um, develop. Dave's always loved and had a vision for young artists and young musicians that has brought around him, and and to sort of encourage them not to just to be good at what they are at, but have the right attitude about it as well. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to Dave in, in, in one sense, not just uh, that he got me out of insurance to work uh, in music, but he introduced me to Sir Cliff. That's right, Sir Cliff Richard. And, yeah. and that connection was quite remarkable, really. Unbelievable. Um, you, I, sent, you then recorded some of your songs, didn't you? And sent him a demo. Yeah, I mean, it's... It was wild how it, how it happened. I'm not sure it could, it could ever happen the same way now, to be honest. Um, but you sent it and you got a note from the secretary yeah. and she says, I'll pass it on to Sir Cliff. Yeah. And then you didn't hear anything. Nothing for 18 months. Um, and and at the, imagine as a 20 year old, you know, you, you're full of it and uh, you have this wonderful meeting. Um, Sir Cliff at the time was very much on top of his game and was number one in the album singles charts and all over the place and had fallen in love with the song that I'd written for Dave, actually, called Sail Away. Yes. And, uh, and then he produced Dave's album, Sail Away, which I was involved in and went down to London to do some recording. We got to know Cliff and, and he said, have you got any more songs like that? You know, and I was like, I've got about 200. <laughs> and I sent five. He said, do you think you could create five demos for me, five really good songs, and send them to me? And, you know, I had no way of doing it at the time. I had no way of recording. Um, didn't have a studio or anything. And then two weeks later on the same tour, I was sat opposite someone while we were having a curry after um, St. David's Hall oh, in yeah. Cardiff. 
and, and opposite me is goes, Rob Andrews. And he goes, I've got a studio, a recording studio. 24-track studio. And he said, would you like to come down and record some songs? I mean, it was amazing. That was such a blessing. I, think, I thank Dave. I thank Rob. But as you say, it's, it's the God moments of, of connections that, you know, he sort of takes the needle and thread and he does. puts all these things together. Yeah. And and you have no idea at the time. Absolutely. And when God opens a door, no one can shut it. So but right. when God shuts the door, no one can open it. And I think sometimes yeah. we're trying to open doors that are really shut. Yeah. But you just got to look for those open doors. You know, doors. Jay John, I, I remember um, at the end of that 18 month period when I was waiting for a response from Cliff, I was getting more and more frustrated in myself. And, and it just nothing had happened. And, you know, as you say, I was driving a taxi, I was driving a beer truck and all of these things. But I didn't, this is what I wanted to do. And I was getting more and more frustrated that something had been presented to me and wasn't happening. And it took a church service. It took me just having some peace and quiet and getting convicted in a new situation, feeling like God is kind of like surrounding me with his love. But the love was pressurizing me to give it up, you know. And, and I, I believe that those words, give it up, um, have been with me my whole life because yeah, it wasn't yeah, until like, I gave it up that like it came give back up, to me. Give up this uh, like drivenness, give up this ambition, yeah. almost yeah. like lay it down. Yeah, exactly. And I'll you, guide you. Yeah, and then you'll see what happens. And that's what happened three days later. Unbelievable. Three days later, boom. The songs on the tape, Cliff responded, recorded four of the five songs on the tape. And two went on Wired for Sound, which is his biggest album to date, I think. Uh, Summer Rain and Lost in a Lonely World. I then recorded uh, or, or signed a publishing deal for Cliff's company to write specifically for him for the next few years. So I ended up with three songs on his next album, um, which included Little Town, a version of Little Town of Bethlehem, which yes. was my first sort of single hit. Um, and then the rest well, is history. Well, that went to number one. It, went to, it was top ten. Top ten. Um, Yes. But yeah, my number one was Save His Day. That's right. And that was a few years later. But uh, the point was I'd actually cemented my friendship with Cliff at that point. And I, ever since, I mean, Jay, I'm, I'm, sat, I'm sat here at my age now having had 40-year friendship with Cliff. Yes. And, or more. And, and I'm still writing for him. I mean, it's incredible. I, you know, I've got a song on his new Christmas album that he's record, just recorded. Um, I, I just feel so honoured that he has spent time listening to what I've written for him. Because every time he does a new album, even though he's getting older, he still has the same passion to record what he believes are hits, you know. Uh, and he gets sent millions of songs, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. why would he keep choosing me? And he, he comes back to me and uh, very often he doesn't ask me for a song. I'll just feel it. You know, I'll just feel or sense that he needs something to say to his audience. Um, I mean, one of my favourite songs that I wrote for Cliff was Golden, which I wrote a few years ago too, because uh, I knew that he was, he was celebrating 50 years mm. in the industry and he has this amazing relationship with his, with his fans. Yes. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just write something that would allow Cliff to express the journey that he's taken with them. Absolutely. And, uh, and that was just a joy. And, and to still be, somebody told me the other day that I'd, I'd written more um, songs over a period of time than any other writer yes. uh, for Cliff, which 
blows me away yes. because I'm, I'm thinking back in the 70s and 80s, I was a massive fan of Alan Tarney, who was the genius behind, you know, some people, we don't talk anymore, some of the biggest songs that Cliff's ever had. And I absolutely adore Alan. And I ended up getting to work with Alan myself. And, um, oh, I could just go on forever because it just I opens know. up but, so many levels. But you then went on and wrote for numerous other people, including yeah. Amy Grant. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what was the first song that you wrote for her? Um, I think it was a track called Sharia. Uh, I can't be 100% certain, but she recorded a version of Little Town, of Cliff's Little Town, on her Christmas album at the time, Tennessee Christmas, um, which was in 1983, I think, or 84. And the year after, her management, Mike Blanton, um, had listened to all my songs and my demos, and he flew over to sign me as an artist to her record label. So that introduced me to Amy. I ended up writing bucket loads of songs with her, um, which was an absolute, exp you know, now I'm co-writing everything. So originally I was just writing on my own. Now I'm sharing it and, and yeah. it's great to pool ideas. And, and if you can write with the artist, that makes a big difference because you know that obviously they're relating. They're the ones going to put it on the page and, you're, and they're trying to get the right thing from you. Um, so my relationship with Amy developed. Yeah. We became like brother and sister. Yes. Uh, we toured together. We've done world tours together. Um, and, and stay very, very close friends. I'm hoping to see Amy next week. I'm taking the family to Nashville, which is really exciting. How did you write, when and how did um, my favourite song, Breath of Heaven, how did that come about? Uh, well, Breath of Heaven, um, I think was probably, in one sense, the most difficult song I've ever tried to write. And then in another sense, the, the easiest, because it came to me. I, I really believe that I just put myself in a position of honesty, which I try to do when I'm writing at all times. You know, I get immersed in a new song and a new idea. And then I have to just be honest about it and try and whatever it is I'm painting the picture of and a sort of s soundscape that has to be real. That has to take you on a journey and, you know, make you feel like you're there. And uh, Breath of Heaven, I was in a bit of a bad place uh, with God. I felt like my relationship spiritually had sort of dried up. Yes. Um, it was right after my marriage had fallen apart, and my first marriage, and, and I was still kind of, I had a lot of doubts and questions about that, and I was just feeling like I couldn't pray. And if I feel like I can't pray, then my go-to is the piano. So I will just get on the piano and just start playing melody and anything, you know, just, just to start playing. And it kind of like, it kind of ministers, it caresses my spirit and brings me back to a place of where I can think straight. And, um, and Breath of Heaven began like that. I had the sort of, the musical verse was, was quite almost musically awkward or just... Uh, it just was, I was asking these questions and, and I thought, well, I can't just ask questions to God. I've got to make statements about who God is. You are harvest, you are golden sun, you are cool rain, you are all in one. And in all my deepest thoughts and in all my battles fought, you are within. So why do I feel like this? You know. And then the chorus came to me and I was broken by it. And... Uh, and I just felt 
the angels singing over me, breath of heaven, hold me together, be forever near me, breath of heaven. And without wanting to be dramatic, I literally was on my own. Um, I was not in a relationship at the time. I fell apart on the floor and I just thought, wow, God has given me a song. It's miraculous, a song. And, and I came to and I finished it in no time. It was all written in an hour, probably. Um, and I just thought, who do I know who needs to hear this right now? And it was Amy Grant. Yes. And I rang her up and spoke to her and, I, and she's like, oh my gosh, do me a tape. I don't care how rough it is. Do me a demo of it. So literally five minutes later, I just record it, piano and vocal, put it in a post, which I had to wait a while because it was post sure. in those days. And two weeks later, she phoned me up. She said, I'm, I'm floored. I'm floored by this song and I'm going to record it. And six months later, we're on the road touring. She gets pregnant. She feels an incredible empathy with Mary uh, and holding Jesus. And she's like, can we make Breath of Heaven a Christmas song? And I was like, okay. And she said, I've just had a few ideas. Let's, let's work together in the verses and just make it a book about, more about Mary's story. And, uh, and I'd already released Breath of Heaven as a single in England in my name and had a sort of hit, a sort of medium hit with it on Radio One, which was crazy, un unheard of. Yes. It was breaking through barriers that I, I just couldn't contemplate. And then Amy came with this incredible idea to make it a Christmas song. And it was the Christmas hit, if you like, was born. And, and that song now has been recorded more times than anything I've ever recorded. And, and it still continues to bless. And, and this sounds daft, but I love to be able to say this because it's so true. <laughs> um, I, uh, there have been a number of occasions. I mean, I can say this to you because you are a, such a believer in the, uh, the spiritual becoming reality. You yes. know, there's no, there's no, yes. there's no line between the two. Um, anything's possible. And uh, without sort of, you know, going crazy about it, I have, I have literally heard harmonies on that song when there's been nobody in the room. And I've done concerts and sung Breath of Heaven and no one's singing and we're all hearing harmonies when the, when the chorus starts. And if ever, I needed a reminder that God is who he says he is. I just think of those moments and I just know, I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the love that has kept me and changed my life is as real now as it's ever been ever and been. always will be, always will be. And that's very exciting. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but could you just sing a few of the lyrics of Breath of Heaven? Breath of heaven, hold me together, be forever near me. Breath of heaven, breath of heaven, lighten my darkness, pour over me your holiness. For you are holy, breath of heaven. Beautiful, Chris. That's what we need, the breath of heaven. Thank you so much for inspiring us.
Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Breath of heaven. Let's hear it. Let's breathe it in. Let's be revived and renewed. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon with Chris Eaton. Thank you. Join us again. God bless you. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com. <laughs>